everything you wanted to know about building a talent-driven organization. Insights and practical advice from leaders at the top of their game. In conversation with Belong's co-founder, Rashab Kaul, and chief evangelist, Adil Bandukwala. Starting in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This is Belong Accelerate. Welcome to Belong Accelerate. This is your host Adil Bandukwala. It's November 2019 and we're up bright and early at Belong's Bangalore headquarters as we've got something really, really special brewing here. The Allegis Global Leadership Team is in town and we're hosting them at Belong this morning. I'm particularly stoked to be interacting with Richard Wagg, who's the president at Allegis Group, APAC. Richard is a seasoned business leader with a demonstrated history of working in the services, staffing and recruiting business within the US and APAC regions. Over the years, Rich has built and scaled successful businesses across the globe with a strong focus on developing leadership capability, talent attraction, retention, strategy, operational excellence and business development. Rich, really, really excited to host you today at the Belong office. Thank you for joining us over Belong Accelerate. Delighted to be speaking to you today. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to the uh, podcast and uh, the interaction with Belong. So thanks for having us. Thank you, Rich. Rich, the theme for the podcast, like I was discussing with you a little earlier, is largely around talent acquisition strategy and business alignment. And when I was thinking about these questions, doing a little bit of research, when I was preparing for this podcast, I thought we should particularly talk about four key elements that drive talent acquisition strategy and business alignment. The first of which is aligning strategy. And then once strategy is aligned, how do you go about segmenting roles? Then about branding to attract moving on to managing a pipeline, and finally, uh, assessment and selection. So let's start with the first one, which is uh, aligning strategy. How should organizations go about defining and implementing talent acquisition strategies to meet business goals, and also scale organizational culture, because both are intertwined with each other, and often you're only solving for one and not both. So how do leaders go about solving for that is my first question. That's a great question. And uh, one of the items that always comes up whenever we poll our customers and ask them, you know, what are they looking for in a recruiting firm or what are they looking for in their own business to attract talent? And what we always find out is the first thing above skills is always cultural fit. So the first thing that we always do is ask them, what is your culture? And sometimes they don't know how to answer that question. And uh, from the culture we then go, you know, what is your, we, we call it an employee value proposition. So when you can identify your culture and then know how to attract your talent through, why does somebody want to come work for you? What is your value prop to the employee or the prospective employee? Then you can then focus on skills after, after culture. So we find that every company in every part of the world wants a cultural fit and a skills alignment to whatever role they're looking to hire from. Awesome. Fantastic. That's wonderful insight for me, uh, Rich. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you never start a conversation with a candidate by asking them the question, what's your culture like? And when you start with that, I think it can often push people back and force them to think because I'm not sure how many of them ask themselves, what's a culture they'll thrive in? They're normally just motivated about thinking, am I going to grow intellectually? You know, is the tech stack aligned with my future interests of the org? How can I really leapfrog growth? These are 
essential elements that they're thinking about. But when you really put the whole culture, philosophy right at the core, I think it really starts them to get thinking. I think, I think it's a fantastic way of looking at things. Moving on to segmenting. How should firms go about determining, you know, organizational gaps in critical roles to quickly impact bottom line. You know, you're, when you're often designing different functions and you're scaling businesses, uh, leaders face certain hindrances and they face certain challenges that aren't being picked up. And these can often be orphaned in organizations where people really don't look at solving for those. But if you bring in a couple of specialists or a couple of generalists who can solve for that, then you can really, really leapfrog and scale uh, quickly or even growth hack for that matter. So my question to you is, how do firms go about determining organizational gaps for critical roles? And can this really impact bottom line? It's a very open-ended question. It is an open-ended question and a difficult question. And uh, I think when you look at the skills shortage in the world, everyone is looking for that specific technologist uh, to solve their problems. And reality is, it probably isn't as much as about one technologist. It's about how are you building skills uh, within your business? How are you getting leaders in your business to be able to get the best out of people and get them to upskill their current skill set into what you're looking for in the future out of your team and out of your organization. And if you can get your whole team and your whole organization to develop their skills into what you want to become as an organization, then you won't have to look for that specific person uh, with that specific technology. Now, certainly you need skills at the higher level of the organization to be able to train and develop your new hires and even your your people that you feel like aren't where they need to be in relation to where you're trying to take the business but you know i would say that the best organizations uh, have those leaders that are able to bring out the best in their people and get them to continue to learn and upskill and then they won't ever have to look for you know that one person that's going to save their business or save their project but they have a group of people that they're bringing on the journey with them to the place that they're trying to get to. Rich, uh, you mentioned about the skill shortages in the world. And this is something that everybody's facing and everybody's talking about. Simply, uh, you know, data science is such a hot resource or topic in India today. We did a report uh, some time back which said that uh, according to the talent supply index, this is inspired by you know, the Big Mac index that The Economist publishes where they take the purchasing power parity of a burger, of a McDonald's burger across the world and they show it on a scale. We took similarly an approach where we looked at all the jobs currently available and all the supply that's currently available across different skills. And we noticed that the demand for data scientists in India is up by 400%. So clearly, like you said, skill shortage is what the world is seeing by far. And the modus operandi that you discussed here today can really solve for those challenges if organizational leaders introspect and try to really solve for it. My next question is from a brand perspective, Rich. And uh, the question largely here is, how do companies go about defining employee value propositions? You just touched upon this a little bit when you were giving me your first answer. But if you can go a little deeper and uh, tell us a little bit about how do companies really go about defining an employee value proposition that attracts high quality candidates. Another important theme that we think could be a big lever for business growth is uh, candidate experience. Because in the business world, everybody is obsessed with customer experience and NPS. 
but it's about time the world really got serious about candidate experience and TPS, which is talent promoter score. Because if you measure that as an effective yardstick of recruiting strategy, the kind of insights it can give you is baffling. So I'd love to get your thoughts there. You know, the last few years, there's been a lot of talk on candidate experience and something that is certainly gaining a lot of traction. You can talk about customer experience, but if you don't have the talent in order to service the customer, then really you're not going anywhere. You know, it does start what we talked about earlier, and, and it's, it's you know, why does somebody want to come work for your organization? What type of leadership do you have in place? Because of the skills gap, people are looking for companies that will be able to upskill them. They'll be able to get trained. They'll be able to learn more and transition their skills into the future. You talked about data science. There will be the next buzzword and the next technology that comes out that we won't have enough people to do. But if you build an organization around developing your talent, around training your talent, around um, investing in your talent, then you can adapt to any change in technology in the future. If your organization is built around how are we getting our people, how are we attracting the talent that wants to learn, that wants to grow. And then the EVP is, you know, why do they want to come work for you? That's simple. And if you can identify that and it's, it's a differentiator in the marketplace, versus your competition or versus the other companies that are looking for the same type of skills, um, you'll position yourself to attract better talent and retain that talent, which is also incredibly important. It's not just bringing them in the door, it's keeping them in the doors. And uh, that's all around and everything we hear from, our, from the candidates that we recruit and we have working uh, for us globally is they wanna work in an organization that uh, they can grow they can do projects that are, are going to upskill themselves and uh, position themselves for, uh, you know, really a, just a, a better life in their uh, profession. I think my key learning there from what you said, Rich, was why does somebody want to come and work for you? If you can define that, you've nailed your EVP. And it really then can, at the parallel level, really sync with your candidate experience efforts. And on candidate experience, since we were talking about that, I think the most adjacent thing uh, or a leading indicator of a great candidate experience is a really healthy talent pipeline. And on that is my next question, which is managing and ensuring a healthy pipeline obviously is a critical component of recruiting. How do leaders go about developing a channel management strategy to really fill gaps with the right people at the right time to really deliver strong business impact immediately and consistently? That is the million dollar question. And you know, I can even think about my own, own organization. Everyone in the organization knows attracting talent is a priority, but they tend to put it at the bottom of the list as their day-to-day jobs become bigger and they don't put as much time and effort into how they're attracting talent. So one thing that I always talk to my leaders about and I think all organizations need to do is, you know, talent attraction should be at the top of their list, not at the third or fourth or fifth thing that they're trying to do that month or that year. And once you start thinking about, all right, well, what am I doing around talent attraction, which is an ongoing, whether you have a need or you don't have a need, whether you have a need next year or the year after or multiple needs, it's an everyday occurrence. And it's an occurrence with HR, You know, you want to work with your HR, you want to work with your talent acquisition, you want to work with your team. So the one interesting note is is most people get their jobs through referrals. 
you know, it's a proven fact and it's something that we continue to stress in our own organization. And we're proud that almost 50% of all the people that we hire come from our internal referrals. That a lot starts with your culture. So if you have a great culture and you have a place that people want to come work, then people will refer their friends, they'll refer their, refer their um, classmates, they'll refer people that they meet in uh, industry groups. That alone, it means your ongoing talent acquisition is happening every single day of the year. And it's not just one person's job, it's, it's every person's job. And everybody working to formulate uh, really their talent acquisition strategy, which is not one item. So for us, it's referrals, it's making sure that we're talking to the best in the industry and really seeing where they come from and finding people that that are aligned with uh, where they came from and really working at how do we build a referral-based recruiting strategy with the people we know and the great technologists in the industry versus just going online and surfing the net for random CVs that may align to buzzwords on a CV to what you're looking to hire but um, if you really refine that strategy and you really dig into the, the best people in the industry and the people on your teams and use them as a way to attract talent, uh, you'll have a lot more success. And then once they come into your business, they already have people they know. That also helps with development of people. When, when people already know you and they know, um, you know what you're capable of, they're more willing to help you get up to speed on the project and certainly the the time you spend on that project or in that organization will be more uh, fulfilling. You know, you reminded me of something that I read a couple of days back, uh, just when I was uh, about to go to bed, I was reading, I think, an interaction with Elon Musk. And he told someone that one of the most essential things in business is to ensure all your business vectors align in the same direction. And here often, what you pointed out is very interesting and which now is resonating with me is most recruiters tend to just focus in one direction, which is they're looking to really find gold from the online world. But really, the entire... uh, collection of gems is with them in their office. And if you were to leverage their own networks, I think you've hit your pot of gold. You know, you're just looking so far out into a sea of unknowns when you've got a rich heritage right in your backyard. So go utilize that. And you've given them some fascinating numbers. You said 50% of your recruiting happens from referrals. I think it's really not about going and saying, oh my God, uh, I have X amount of roles that I need to fill and soaking in all that pressure. But actually going to people and say, hey, you know what? You know so many people you worked. Who are the best folks, five, five most amazing people you worked with that you think you can recommend and if you go after them i think it can really really work so thank you for sharing that insight rich Uh, and my final question rich is uh, on assessment and selection and uh, i'd love to get your advice on how do leaders go about identifying developing and measuring candidate potential for success now there are two things that people generally go after one is a collection of experiences or you're just betting on potential. I'd love to hear your perspectives on, is there a balance that you should look at between the two? Would you rather bet on potential for certain roles, just going after the experience help? How do you really assess? Is there like a recipe? Is there a formula? And to you, what does success look like? I'd love to have the recipe. Uh, And I think many leaders uh, and managers would like to have the recipe. Reality is 
at this point in the, in the world, there may be in the future, but there's not necessarily a recipe, but there are some, some really good things that you know, every leader should do. You know, one, when, it, when, when you start with referrals, you already know what someone's potential is because people know those people. And when you already know what their track record is and what they've done in the past, then you can predict what they can do in the future. When you hire somebody that you don't know or you have no track record on, then you're taking more of a chance uh, when you hire that individual. Certainly testing helps. You know, one thing that we, we do a lot in our business is, is uh, we do references. We definitely call their past managers, their past leaders, their past colleagues to really understand what they're capable of, what they've done in the past, if it matches what they say they can do. You know, I think it's very natural for human beings to overplay their skills, to overplay their abilities. And really our job as recruiters and our, your job as a manager or a leader of an organization is to really understand before they come work, what they're capable of. Then you can see based upon history, if they've been able to upskill, if they've been able to learn and grow through what they've done in the past, I really believe uh, history repeats itself. So if you can look at a CV and really understand what somebody has done in the past, what their track record has been on projects, have they finished their projects successfully, some cases on time, you can then uh, predict what they can do in the future. And, and certainly if, if they have somebody they've worked with in the past that's working on your team, you're more likely to predict that they're going to be successful in the future. But we do a lot of testing as well on skills and making sure that um, you know before our clients ever see uh, a CV, um, that we've put them through a lot of the character and a lot of the skills assessments in order for us to be able to see if they're going to be a good fit for the organization, both culturally as well as skills. Got it. Got it. Thank you so much, Rich. Uh, that's a wrap on the formal segment of our podcast. I'd love to do a quick informal segment with you where I'd love to have our audience get to know you a little better in terms of what's Rich like in life. If I were to meet Rich, who's, like, who's he like as a person? And if I have your permission, I'll get started with my first question. My first one is, when you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind and why? The successful has changed in my mind, the definition from my 20s to my 30s to my 40s. But there was a, um, and is a very influential person in my life. He was my uncle. In university, he sold China door to door, started a business right after university, been a successful CEO of a company. And uh, he helped me when I was a kid, really really set my career path, not just as a a business person, but also as as a person. And so I saw my uncle... Um, he had six kids. He helped me through college and uh, he was a good businessman and he was a good dad and he was a good husband. And uh, he's still a, a, a man that I aspire to be and uh, get a lot of motivation from. That is such a wonderful inspiration simply because, you know, you've watched this man up and close in your family over all these years and often you can be impressed by people in one or two meetings but to consistently keep upping their game and ensure that people still look up to is is very very hard and very few people get right in life also i think he ticked all the boxes like you said he's a family man he's been successful at work he enjoys what he does i think very very few people uh, achieve that so thank you for sharing that very inspiring what's the most useful product or service you've bought lately for less than $100? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I, I still find a, a good book 
and a good podcast as the most useful uh, service that I get. I'm always inspired by uh, hearing stories about how people are balancing uh, their work and their stress and their workload with how they're, how they're dealing with life. Life can be very stressful. I know we have a, a lot of uh, people from all over the world that listen to this podcast that are in big cities dealing with a lot of stress. And uh, I'm always inspired by how people are able to be successful, but also not necessarily stress-free, but balancing stress in their life and, and really the whole mind, body, spirit. So anytime I can get uh, a book or a podcast on how I can train my mind, uh, how I can train my body, or how I can be more spiritual, I find to be the most beneficial service uh, that, that I can give myself. That's awesome. So on books is my next question. What's the one book you think most of us should pick up and read? What's, what's been your favorite? What's your all-time favorite book? Oh, wow. You know, I just read a book four or five months ago called The Power of Now. And The Power of Now talks about uh, being in the present. And uh, when human beings can be in the present and they're not worried about tomorrow and they're not worried about the next day and they're not worried about all the things our mind makes up in our heads, but we can literally focus on the people we're with, the work we're doing today, we're more productive and we're less stressed and um, life is better. You know, I really recommend The Power of Now to, to anyone. Eckhart Tolle is the author, pretty famous author, sold a lot of books globally and uh, is, a, is a tremendous book for anybody that, that wants to truly be in the now and truly focus on um, uh, being as productive as they can be in the present. Awesome, awesome. Richard, if you were a new addition to the crayon box, what color would you be and why? My favorite color to look at is probably orange. It's bright. When you wear some orange, you know, you just have uh, people look at you differently. It makes people happy. It's uh, energetic. When I think of the color orange, uh, it's very energetic and bright. If I were going to pick a color, it would definitely be uh, the orange crayon. Fantastic. What's the one television character you simply adore? Do you, do you get time to watch television? Do you watch television at all? Or uh, are you a Netflix junkie? Do you get a little bit of time to watch Amazon Prime? I don't know. You, you're probably too busy with work. But if you do, or if you did in the past, what's been your favorite television character? Wow. I don't watch a lot of television. I have a, you know, some sports figures that I, uh, I, I like. Uh, Derek Jeter from the New York Yankees. Always got the hit in the, uh, in the right time, at the right place. Very similar. You know, baseball is very similar to cricket. And I've enjoyed my time watching cricket. I don't know a lot of the cricket players. In terms of characters, I, wa- I watch a lot of biographies. Again, I learn a lot from uh, other people and, and like history. So anytime I can, I can watch a biography... Uh, anytime that I can, I can uh, learn. Just watched a Netflix episode on eating healthier, something I think all of us uh, could do more of. And uh, I really haven't focused much on, you know, uh, I have focused a little bit on diet, but, but didn't know uh, the nuances of how I can train my body to where I can have more energy on a, on a daily basis. But I don't know if there's one, one uh, you stumped me on that question. I don't know if there's one character in a movie that, uh, yeah, Robert Redford in The Natural is a good one, but I, I can't think of one movie character or, or one character that, that I like the most. All right, uh, that's fair enough. Thanks for sharing those perspectives. Baseball sure is interesting. And the Yankees, man, they, they have such a cult following. An amazing, amazing team. If you were on an island and you could bring only three things, 
What would you bring? Three things on an island. Well, I guess I would have to start with my family. You know, for me, uh, I travel a lot, and uh, the best thing that happens when I come home is to see my uh, kids and my wife greet me, you know, at the door and uh, have dinner with them when I can. So I would definitely bring uh, my family. Second thing I would probably bring is a radio. Obviously, it would probably need to be a satellite radio, but at least I could uh, be able to have some entertainment and uh, continue to learn through uh, listening to podcasts like yours, as well as um, others. Uh, so I'd probably bring a radio, and then uh, I would bring a lot of food. So I, uh, me and my family uh, didn't starve on that island. Uh, so uh, would bring, uh, bring a lot of food. Well, you're on food. I, I just have to ask this. I'm a huge foodie, and we're a lot of foodies that belong. We just love food too much. What's your favorite food? I have two, two food groups that I like a lot. I eat one uh, not so much, so I'm uh, Italian heritage, and my mom uh, is uh, all Italian, full Italian. So I love Italian food, but I don't eat it that often. You know, the carbohydrates are, 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 are not the best, especially at dinner time for a middle-aged man. Uh, I also love sushi, and now with my opportunity to travel to Japan quite often, anytime I can get some really good sushi, uh, I take advantage of it and, and love it. But I also have, have learned to enjoy Indian food. Been to India 20, 25 times. And uh, dal is my favorite uh, Indian dish. And I, I tend to eat it quite often when, when, uh, when I'm in uh, India. Yeah, I guess dal makhani is what you're referring to. And most of us swear by it. We absolutely love it. Uh, generous amount of butter and fat in it. But what the hell? It's, it's okay for a couple of times, right? I mean, you can really dig in. A follow-up question on that, on Italian. I was in Italy uh, a couple of months back on a vacation. And I really enjoyed my time there. The food is just tremendous. But in the Italian cuisine, what is it that you really enjoy binging on? Whenever you get a chance to. Because like you said, it's rich in carbohydrates. So uh, is it the pizzas? Is it the gnocchi? Is it the fusilli, the penne, or is it just the meats? Uh, do you really, are you really more of the steaks kind of guy? There's a lot of Italian food that I like. Uh, pastas, obviously, at the top of the list. Pasta with a little truffle on top is the best. And uh, I've only started eating truffle in the, in the last uh, 10 years or so, and I don't eat it very often. But if I can have uh, a little truffle on top of my pasta, I go to bed happy. Oh, uh, truffle and pasta, you can never go wrong with that combination, I tell you what. Uh, there's something called Le Cirque, which is uh, a restaurant right here at the Leela Palace uh, in Bangalore that serves amazing pasta and truffle. So whenever you're in India next, we should probably go there. It's going to be a fantastic meal. But all right, on my next one, at what store would you max out your credit card? What is something that you really enjoy spending or splurging on? Um, I'm a golfer. And uh, I know there's not a lot of golf courses in India, not a lot of golfers in India. And since moving to Asia, I haven't golfed as much. But if I was back in the United States uh, at some point retired and I could walk into a golf store and splurge, that's probably where, where I would spend uh, a decent amount of money. I also like Hugo Boss and, and uh, you know, dressing nice when I can. And uh, that, that would be another place that, that I could go in and uh, spend some money. Hugo Boss is uh, very iconic and their style statement is quite remarkable. So uh, amazing. All right, last two questions, uh, Rich. What's the one question you always ask a job applicant? 
I think it's pretty simple. You know, job applicants just want a few things. And, and when you ask these questions, you get the right answers. Um, so we ask them what their skills are. Um, we ask them what their goals are. You know, what are they trying to achieve uh, in the future? And we ask them what their interests are. So uh, we always teach our recruiters before they ever talk about any jobs, ask the job applicant what their skills are, what their goals are, what their interests are. And from there, you can really find out what uh, people, who they are, what they want, and what they can do. Uh, and then you can start looking at uh, what type of job you want to place them in. And when you're hiring for your team, is there a particular attribute or quality or an answer that you're looking for that would normally change it in the candidate's favor? Like what's the one answer slash quality slash trait that you're looking for? And when you spot that, you're like, okay, I have to hire this person. Is there something like that? I don't know if there's one. There's a, there's a few. But the, when you asked that question, I started thinking of the word humility. When people are humble, um, they're willing to learn. Uh, they're willing to take feedback. They're willing to be coached. And I think uh, when people are willing to learn, they're willing to take feedback, and they're, and they're willing to be coached, then they can truly uh, become better and better every single day. Because in an employee... Uh, in a colleague, what you really want is growth. You want people to tackle new projects, get better at their skills. And when they're humble and they come in with a humble approach, you know they're willing to uh, learn and grow and learn, learn from uh, the best in your business. And the ones that are not humble uh, aren't willing as much and are more difficult to coach. So we always look for humble, uh, humility uh, first as, as the one attribute. Uh, Rich, that's a wrap on our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on Belong Slate. This has been wonderful. Uh, for the first time, ladies and gentlemen, on this podcast, we've also had a live audience. We have Guru sitting with us. And Guru, again, thank you for your time as well. Rich, this has been wonderful. Uh, thank you for doing this for Belong Accelerate. Yeah, thank you. Uh, great, great being here and uh, appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for tuning in to Belong Accelerate. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Please subscribe to Belong Accelerate on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast channel you choose to listen from. If you like what you've heard, please give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. If you have suggestions on themes and particular guests you would like us to cover, please tweet to us with hashtag Belong Accelerate. See you on our next podcast. Ciao.